Thank you. May it be, amen, may it be that the move of God, the move of God, the fresh move of God in our hearts, he would have his way, he would do what he does best, which is to refresh us, to change us, to instruct us, to be what only he can be in our hearts. I'm just so glad to see your faces. I'm so glad to be back in this house with you and be a part with our streaming family all over again. I'm looking into these faces here. I can't see all of those faces out there, but I'm looking into some faces of some well-fed sheep. Well-fed sheep. I believe the Lord through the four wonderful preachers, instruments of his grace, these last four weeks have done some things, imparted some things to you that have refreshed you encouraged, and encouraged you. I, I want to say thank you publicly again to uh, Rich Garza, uh, who was one of our preachers, to Albert Chaplin, Albert Long, who was also one of our preachers, and Brother Sammy Tippett, and then uh, David Martin last week, and um, wonderful reports. Um, Shirley told me last Sunday, as we were in Montana watching the streaming, uh, we watched the 11 o'clock last Sunday, she, she said, I don't, I don't ever get to sit in church with you. That was her comment. So she said, I want you to sit right here, and I want you to hold my hand, and we're going we're gonna to go to church together. So we sat there, and we sang, and we wiped tears away, and were blessed and refreshed. And I'm so grateful for the time away, but blessed to be able to return. And I have some things this morning that um, I hadn't, I told one of our brothers yesterday, I ran into, he was out in our neighborhood, and I said I hadn't. I hadn't preached in four weeks, so you better bring lunch tomorrow. <laughs> Got a lot to say. I'll, I'll try to just make sure that it's not, that it doesn't drag on and on. But I believe that the Lord, coming out of those mountains in southwestern Montana and just been able to look out across um, some country that didn't, didn't have any roofs, didn't have any roads, didn't have any power lines, and didn't have any politics. It was a blessing to be able to be in that setting and to be able to sense the presence of the Lord, to know the Creator. You can walk out, you know, out in country that uh, some folks can say, well, it's just, this is beautiful country and, and this is, uh, it's great to be out here. But when you have a sense that you know the Maker, that you know the Creator, that the one who spoke and all of it came into existence is alive in your heart, it just gives it just gives a whole different dimension to the Lord's creation. So I come back from that place just with a sense of a couple of things this morning in particular that I feel like the Lord wants to impart by His Spirit uh, to your vision, to, to your heart and your sense of what He would want to do with you and us in this season in the life of our nation. One of the things that I believe He he just wants me to say to you, I feel like he, to my spirit, has said, I want you to tell my people that I love them. Tell my people that I love them. I know they're not all perfect. I know they don't have all the blanks filled in. I know that they're still working through many things and having to trust me for the next step. But you tell them, do you hear this? Are you hearing this? that the Lord is saying, I love you. I love you. Now, you know, your last name may not be the last name of somebody, some family legacy that has a lot of, a lot of money, a lot of land, a lot of political connection. But when it drops 18 inches, that your father, your real father, is the God of all creation the God of the ages, the maker of heaven and earth. He has no limit to his wealth. There's no limit to his power. There's no limit to his wisdom. And he loves you. It can cause there to be a lifting if there's a, been a heaviness to come upon us, just to be reminded of whose we are and his heart 
for you, for you. I'm not talking to the person next to you. Well, you ought to love my mother because she's a godly woman, or you ought to love my aunt or my uncle because they're wonderful people. No, no, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son for you and for me. Amen. <laughs> Amen. You can hear that, and it can just ricochet right off, or you can let that in. Let it in. Let it in. The second thing I believe that the Lord wants me to say this morning, wants me to, by his spirit, I pray, impart to you. There is one simple prayer that can rescue America. There is one simple answered prayer that can rescue America. I'm not going to spend any time trying to convince us of the need for our nation to be turned and to be rescued, to be redirected in the direction it needs to go. I'm just going to assume that that is a common concern. And even the events in the last few days are a reminder of just how much in need of rescue our nation is. Here is that one simple prayer. Lord, send your spirit in power. Lord, send your spirit in power to our nation. You fill in the blank with whatever part of the nation, whatever city, whatever street, whatever person, whatever individual comes to mind that rises up in your heart. That one right there, that situation right there, you may say, will never be changed apart from the power of God. I'm not here to talk to you about hopelessness. I'm here, I pray, by the work of the Spirit to impart to you hopefulness. Lord, send your spirit in power and you fill in the blank. Shirley and I were walking through a parking lot in Big Sky, Montana. If you had never been to Big Sky, you ought to go sometime. It's about 40 miles from West Yellowstone. It's just some of the most beautiful country on the face of the earth. But we were we were walking across a parking lot in that uh, little community called Big Sky, and I, I just kind of have a way as I'm roaming around, I don't do much of it, but when I'm walking through a parking lot, looking at the license plates, if it's not a Texas license plate, and there are not a lot of Texas license plates in Montana, but this one in particular was different, because I don't know if I'd ever seen one from Connecticut, Connecticut. Now this is, this is southwestern Montana, and Connecticut is on the far side of the other side of everything. I, I don't know how it got there. You, you, you'd have to be intentional. You're just not going to accidentally from Connecticut end up in Big Sky, Montana. After I read the license plate, saw it was from, I noticed something else. A bumper sticker that was stuck to the back of that van from Connecticut. And here's what it said. I'm one epiphany short of a paradigm shift. Some of you say paradigm shift. I'm one epiphany short of a paradigm shift. Now, I, I, some of you are looking at me like, you, what in the world? Why, why would that be so important? I'm fixing to tell you. First thing we need to do is know what the meaning of epiphany. What is an epiphany? I'm one epiphany short <laughs> of a paradigm shift. Webster's will define epiphany as an appearance or a manifestation of a divine being or an encounter with the supernatural. Now, there can be 
other levels of that. It can be in your business. That, that you, it, it, it's when there's something that you see that you have never seen before. And the result of that is amazingly profound to your heart. I, I, I picked up on, you'd expect a preacher to do preachery stuff with bumper stickers. Well, I did it. And it just has been, to this, this morning, it, it, it's still with me. I'm one epiphany short of a paradigm shift. I'm one encounter with the supernatural short of a paradigm shift. Well, what's a paradigm or paradigm shift? Webster will define, and it's got those two words put together, stuck together in, in, in Webster's dictionary. It, it means an important change that happens when the usual way of thinking about something or doing something is replaced by a new and different way. It means everything changes. Your paradigm, your paradigm shift, the way you've been thinking about life, the way you've been thinking about a future, the way you've been trying to figure out a problem, it it shifts, it changes into something other than the usual. Put those two together. I'm one <laughs> epiphany short of a paradigm shift. The more I thought about that, the more I got to realizing that's all the way through the Bible. All the way through the Bible. Moses, 40 years he was out following those sheep and goats of his father and father-in-law Jethro until that one day when it says the Genesis Exodus was a, he, he turned and he looked and he saw that green bush on fire but not burning up. He saw something that to him was supernatural, something that was beyond the ordinary. And he went and he got, as he got closer, take your shoes off, you're standing on holy ground, and the voice of God spoke to him out of the burning bush. That epiphany, encounter with the supernatural, encounter with heaven on earth. Moses, you're my choice to go set my people free. His response would be, Lord, you need to pick somebody else. Do you realize the trouble that I got into, why I've run this far? But from that point on, his paradigm shifted. His paradigm shifted as a result of that encounter with the Lord's presence, that epiphany. The paradigm for Moses' whole life shifted. All the way through the Old Testament, Isaiah. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He heard the seraphim, he heard the angels, angelic beings singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the voice of the Lord to his heart, who will go for us? Who will speak for us? Who will represent us? And, and Isaiah's response, I'll go, Lord. He never looked back from that point in time when he encountered, when he encountered the supernatural. Jeremiah, the same way, when you were yet in your mother's womb, I knew you, and I called you to be a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah felt that the Lord, he, he felt the Lord touch him. He felt the Lord put his word in his mouth and in his heart. You go all the way over to the New Testament and the followers of Jesus and Simon Peter, and I love the story, uh, and I find myself repeating it, thinking back through it many times. Simon Peter had not yet determined that he would follow Jesus for the rest of his life until this one thing happened. He was one epiphany short of a major paradigm shift. The, the epiphany for Peter was when Jesus said to Simon Peter, if you'll push, push out and go out into the deep water again and let your nets down, you'll catch a fish. You'll ca you'll, you, you will, there'll be a catch. There'll be a great catch. Jesus said, had been in Simon Peter's backyard, been laying his hands on folks and healing people. Everybody that came, Jesus touched and healed. But Simon Peter was not yet 
touched by who Jesus would be for him until that day that Jesus got in his bass boat and they pushed off out into that water that he had fished all night in and hadn't caught a, hadn't caught a manna. And yet, when Jesus said, lower the nets, he lowered the nets. They raised it, but there were so many fish in the nets and nearly sunk his boat. It was that epiphany, it was that encounter with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ in the back of his bass boat that caused Simon Peter to fall on his knees before Jesus in his own boat and say, forgive me, Lord, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a sinful man. And it says that he got out of the boat, made the arrangement, and followed Jesus the rest of his life. I'm telling you, every, every mean man you know, Every sorry politician you may have ever read about, the most hard-nosed, the most complicated, the most difficult life may just be one epiphany short of a paradigm shift. The hope, listen, I believe the Lord wants to convey the hope. We, We can... Spend our time listening to the news, reading the news, keeping up with what's going on, and it can just seem as if it's the swirl of of, of a downward current trying to pull the nation away from where God established that we should be and what we should do. And if we're not careful, we can find ourselves in a place of hopelessness and negativism that is not profitable for us to be in to serve our Lord and to believe Him at this day and time and in this season in our nation. Instead, it needs to be, and this is what I want you to hear. I want you to hear it. I believe it's God's heart that the ones that are in leadership or the ones that are following, whoever it would be, just one epiphany short of a paradigm shift, meaning that all that is needed to change and to rescue, to deliver someone's thinking, someone's determined resolve to pursue a course of action that is dead wrong in the sight of God, the only thing missing is an encounter, an encounter with the unseen God who loves. Let me tell you something about God and his, his enemies. God has designs on many of his enemies. And you know what the design is? It's to turn those enemies into his friends. Saul. Saul. Saul of Tarsus. No more violent enemy of the early church than that young man. He was hell on wheels. He was driven by the spirits of darkness who were quoting scripture to him. He believed that Jesus of Nazareth was a heretic. He believed that Moses' description of a man hanging on a tree being accursed applied to Jesus, and Jesus had hung on the cross, therefore therefore he was accursed. He couldn't be the Messiah. He wasn't the Messiah. And he was so incensed that this attempt by Jesus of Nazareth to further his teaching and loyalty to him would mean the dilution of Judaism, it would, be, it would be an assault. It was an assault on what he believed God stood for. So Saul of Tarsus was doing everything he could to shut down the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's what I believe was going on. We don't know who it was. We don't have a record in Scripture that there was ever a list of names to pray for. But I'm telling you, I believe that somewhere within the church, within the body of believers there, huddled, persecuted, but growing explosively, 
in Jerusalem, but there were some who were praying, God, God, send your spirit in power to Saul of Tarsus. Send your spirit in power to Saul of Tarsus. And Acts chapter 9, on the road to Damascus, a light brighter than the sun broke into his world. He wasn't looking for Jesus. He was doing everything he could to prove his hatred for Jesus. But out of heaven came the name, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus. I'm Jesus. One epiphany away from a paradigm shift in that man's life. He was never the same. He became instead of an enemy of Jesus, he became a friend of Jesus. The world has been different because of what happened on that, in that moment. An epiphany that resulted in a paradigm shift. I want you to go with me to a spot or two in Scripture this morning that I pray will result in just generating great faith in your heart as a part of the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are here as American Christians for this season for a reason. We are to understand our role. We are to understand the place that we hold. We understand the conveyors that we are that can result in the healing of the broken spirit, the spirit, the broken spirit in the soul of our nation. I want you to find, if you would, John chapter 16, these words of Jesus. John chapter 16, this is before the crucifixion. I tell you, this is verse 7, but I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the helper shall not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, speaking of the Holy Spirit, the comforter, another name, advocate, another name for the Holy Spirit. And he, when he comes, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. He'll convict the world concerning sin because they do not believe in me. And concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you no longer behold me. And concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. He says, the Holy Spirit, he doesn't use a neuter pronoun, it. He uses a definite masculine pronoun. Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as he, as a person. And he is saying, this person who has been with you, he speaks of this in John 14, he has been with you, but there'll be a point in time when he will come inside you. And when he comes inside you and out through you to the world, he will, oh, this is so encouraging, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. In other words, it will never be your role as a follower of Jesus to convict anybody of their sin. It will never be your responsibility because you don't and I don't have the power to convict anybody of their sin. 
The word to convict means, it means to show the guilt of the accused, causing them to see their guilt, but then it means also the weight of the guilt, to feel the guilt, to feel the guilt. Now stay with me, stay with me. That isn't your job or my job to be running around trying to make people feel guilty as if that's a sign that we're doing something for God. Not necessarily. If it's all about my big mouth and it's all about my judgment of people, it will never go anywhere. The flesh profits nothing, but the Spirit gives life. It is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of the exalted Christ that will come And he will be the one to show to the heart of the person what is right and what is wrong in the sight of God. I'm talking to some folks right now this morning who before Jesus, before the Spirit did that in you, you you were mean as a junkyard dog. No, No, don't try to look like, well, that wasn't me. We, we can remember where some of us were. Alamo City has, has a litany of names of, of ones who, who were some of the devil's best foot soldiers. Mean. Arrogant in their meanness. Convinced. Convinced. Stubborn. Well, what happened to you? <laughs> what happened to you? Somewhere in the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ by his spirit, he showed you your sin. He showed you where you had turned and the wrong of it. And there wasn't anybody maybe standing there preaching to you, but there was the sense of what was right and what was wrong. He will convict the world concerning sin because they don't believe in me. No no reason to believe in the death of Jesus for your sins if you're not guilty of your sins, if you feel no guilt or shame for your sins. But the work of the Spirit, the work of the Spirit is to move in the hearts and show us our sin. Show us that we've been trying to live under some false standard of righteousness and God's standard of what is right and wrong never changes never changes. And then that he will convict the world of judgment. There's judgment coming. The wages of sin is death. We don't rewrite the laws of God. You violate them, violate them, and you're broken by them. They are not rewritten culturally, generationally. I am the same. I change not, the Lord says. So if that If that is true, since that is all true, the work of the Holy Spirit in coming to a life is to show that life where the sin is so that that person will develop, will have created in them a longing for forgiveness, a longing for the mercy that is in Jesus. The cross of Christ means nothing if you've never known guilt. The cross of Jesus Christ to set sinners free does no good for ones who have not. I'm not a sinner. I'm not a sinner. The work of the Spirit to take us to Jesus is to convince us why we need Jesus. Send the Holy Spirit in power for Christ's sake. The meanest, the lionest, the lowest, the harshest, the cruelest, the one seeking to be disengaged from all that should be their responsibility, one epiphany short of a paradigm shift that brings in what is then the role of the church, folks? What is then the role of the church? If you go from John... 16, and you go over into Acts chapter 1, and Jesus would say to the disciples, to the the followers, after he had taught on the subject of the kingdom of God for 40 days, 
He says in Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost part of the earth. What he was saying to them is, the information that I've given you about the kingdom of God, the connecting of the dots of prophetic scripture and the rules of the kingdom and so forth, all of that is of no effect until you receive the power of the Holy Spirit, the coming upon you. And that's what we say. Our, our problem is not knowing what we ought to do. Our problem, our problem is not wanting to do it. And so Jesus is saying that there will be coming upon you one who will come within you and will begin to flex his moral muscles and his heart for God heart. And within you, there will come that kind of change. But it will also be that you will understand the strength of the one, the presence of the one who is now in you in the person of the Spirit. He's, he's not the broken down Jesus. He's not the crucified Jesus. It is the Spirit of the exalted Jesus Christ. The Spirit of the one who has said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And from that place being re-exalted to the right hand of the Father, from that place, the Spirit of the exalted Jesus is poured out and into the church. As he does that on the day of Pentecost, you can read that carefully. The day of Pentecost had come, they were all gathered in one place. All of a sudden, this rushing mighty wind began to, to sound, the sound of multiple jet engines blowing and, and tongues of fire, and they were filled with the Spirit, it says, and they went out and began to speak uh, with boldness the, the, the truth of Jesus, the praises of God in languages that they had never spoken before. The people who heard the sound came to the place of the sound of that upper room. And from there, Simon Peter began to speak. And he began to explain to them, this is what Joel had prophesied. This is the coming of... What I'm trying to say to you, folks, listen, this coming of the Spirit upon you and working in you and then in the world is not some benign, sleepy, laid-back influence. It's not just the content of the truth of Scripture with no feet to it, with no heart to it. The coming of the Holy Spirit in power means the person of the exalted Christ moves into your chest and he begins to flex his muscles of courage and truth and right. And also to do what John 16 said that the Spirit would do. He convicts the world of their sin. That the ones who were listening to Simon Peter on that day, you, you can find it in, in Acts chapter, chapter 2. And we're, we're, let me just read this, verse 36, Acts 2, 36. Peter speaking, Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, this Jesus whom you crucified. Verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? When they heard what Simon Peter said about Jesus, as they heard that, they were pierced in their hearts. They were convicted concerning sin because they had not believed in Jesus. It wasn't Peter's eloquence. It wasn't the strength of his personality. It wasn't some, something that was, that was human and, and natural in form. It was that the spirit of the living Jesus came in power and convicted sins. So that the sinners could then turn to Jesus and Jesus could set the captives free. That which had bound them would be broken by the power of the living Christ within them. Send the Holy Spirit for Christ's sake. Send the Spirit in power. Send the Spirit in power to the United States. Send your Spirit in power. Lord, and call the names 
Every time you see a face that is representing hostility toward the things of God, opposite of what would be pleasing to the Lord in the approach of leadership in our nation or living as a citizen even in our cities, wherever you see it, church, wherever you see it, church, we are to understand that the Lord gave the Spirit in power first to the church so that through the church, the world could be touched and changed. It is that place, that inescapable assignment that is on us, family of God, in this season in our nation to pray for 10 days in the upper room There was one prayer. I believe this was it, though not not stated in the verses of Scripture. Lord, send your spirit in power. Send your spirit. What Jesus had told us to wait for, what we know we have to have and we can't change anything about us or anything about them, apart from your power, invade us, Lord. Invade us, Lord. Invade us, Lord. Send your spirit in power. What happens when he does that? He convicts the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. It's turned toward the person. He will take of mine, Jesus said, and he will give it to you. The Holy Spirit will be all about building up the centrality of the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll know that revival is having its way in our nation when instead of the last name that you can speak in settings, government, educational, political, whoever, is the name Jesus. You can call any other religious leading name. You can call it out. But you speak the name Jesus and the forces of darkness And the demons of hell working in the room will array themselves, shut it down, shut it down. Why? Because they know judgment that they can't escape is coming. They know that Jesus Christ is everything he ever claimed to be. They know that they have to buckle the knee at the mention of the name, Jesus. So when the Lord answers this prayer, and our nation is being rescued. It won't be the Methodists highlighted. It won't be the Baptists highlighted. It won't be the Catholics highlighted. It won't be the Charismatics or the, or the Jewish or the Muslim. It will be Jesus. Jesus. Why? Because he's the only Savior of the world. He's the only one who loved you and me enough even when we didn't know him, didn't want him, in many cases fighting against him. He loved us enough to take our sins of rejection of him before we were ever born, knowing what we would do and how we would live, to take his, our sins in his body when he went to that cross and he died to set you free before you and I ever knew we'd need to be set free. There came a point in time when it was the Spirit who showed us our sin and was not to leave us in the place of despair. But here's what the Spirit does. He shows you the guilt. He causes there to be to see and to feel so that I will then turn to the hope of the world, which is Jesus. God has a plan for many of his enemies. And that is to turn his enemies into friends. Saul of Tarsus is one of them. We mentioned him earlier. I finish with this story. John Newton grew up in early 18th century England. 
he followed his father into the slave trade. When he grew old enough to have his own ship, he would search the coastal areas of Africa for villages to raid and for people to steal, to enslave for the purpose of selling at a later time profit. He was a vocal advocate of slavery. Was not diminished in his conscience noticeably, measurably at all as one would look at it. He was doing what he was doing, wanted to be good at it, and in effect was proud of it. Until one day, aboard his ship, a storm hit off the coast of Africa. The storm was so violent that it threw several of his crew members overboard and they were lost. The few that remained, along with himself, were holding on to whatever they could hold on to to try to survive the storm. For 11 hours, he reported later that he held to the wheel of the ship, trying to steer it as best he could. But in the place of that desperation, in the place of having nowhere else to turn, this is what he cried. Lord, have mercy on us. He he hadn't repented of anything yet. He, he, He hadn't coined the words to amazing grace in even their embryonic form at that point. Lord, have mercy on us. As the 11 hours passed, gradually the sea gave way to peace, and they survived. John Newton remembers that day in March as the day when his paradigm shifted. He was an enemy of the things of God. Cold to the heart of God. But somehow in that moment, in a storm, he was confronted by the presence of Almighty God. Knowing that there's no way we could have ever survived unless God had spared my life. He left his ship. He left the business went back to England, eventually found himself a part of, a major part of, the anti-slavery movement in England. William Wilberforce, the prime spokesman for that, became one of the parishioners that, that John Newton pastored. He became a pastor. He wrote against slavery. He lived to be 82 years old. He lived long enough to see in the early 1800s the passage of the law in Britain that forbade slavery in the British Empire. He began to lose his memory some as he got older. But he would say, there are two things I know. Number one, what a great sinner I was. And number two, what a great Savior Jesus is. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. But now I'm found. I was blind. But now, who, who, who did that for him? The same Holy Spirit 
you and I are in, called upon and invited to pray, Lord, send your spirit and power to the John Newtons of our day, to the Sauls of Tarsus of our day. There was, there was nobody anymore devoted and committed to doing what he felt was right more so than Saul of Tarsus. Until that day when everything changed. And I'm saying to you, church, our role in this nation is not to be spending our time talking about how mad we are and how God-forsaken everything is. Our role is to be in this place of praying, Lord, send your spirit and power for Christ's sake. Every name, every face, every group, Lord, send your spirit and power for Christ's sake. And he will do the work that only he can do of showing a heart, convicting a heart. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. John 5, 14. This is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, we know that He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, we know that He will grant that which we have asked of Him. Is it the will of the Lord for all to be saved, for folks to be brought to faith and come to faith in Christ? Yes then with confidence we can pray. Send your spirit in power to that one right there. Put the crosshair of your prayer right on that one who needs it. God has a way of turning his enemies into his friends. Lord, we need you. Lord, we have no hope without you. Our nation is in a great spiritual need of you. Will you do your work by your spirit of convicting us, calling us to the place of praying that one simple prayer that can rescue America? Lord, send your spirit in power for Christ's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. There is somebody listening to me right now, and maybe for the first time ever, you're knowing in your heart that you need the Savior, that you need Jesus. He's here. He's now. He's ready. Open your heart to him. Lord Jesus, here's what you say. Lord Jesus, I receive you. It's not just indigestion. It's a stirring of his spirit, wanting to show you guilt, wanting to show us our wrong so that we will be drawn to the Savior who forgives us of our sins and our wrongs and changes us from the inside out. I receive you, Jesus. I re- say it. Say it out wherever you are. I receive you, Jesus, as my Savior. I receive you, Jesus, as my Savior. Let us hear from you if that has been the cry of your heart. Pastor Walker at alamocity.org. We're not the only place where these things are talked about, but because you're connected with us today, we would love to be able to help and encourage you. This last thing I want to say, find you a power partner. Find someone who will agree with you. If any two of you agree on earth about the things that they would ask, the Father who is in heaven will hear and grant the request. And don't look at just Baptists. Don't just look at Charismatics. Don't just look at Alamo City folks. Your spirit will draw you to somebody who when you say, I want you to agree with me as we pray for our nation, 
Send the Holy Spirit in power. You'll know that there's an agreement that they would accept that. They would join with you. And over the phone, when you're together, by text or email or whatever it would be, Lord, between now and the election and beyond, but oh goodness, but now, Lord, send your spirit in power for Christ's sake. Lord, send your spirit in power. With, with the crosshair on the person. And, and they may be enemies of God right now, but remember, the Lord has plans for his enemies. He loves to win souls. He loves to win hearts. Nobody is too lost for Jesus. Amen. I've been waiting about 10 days to get that out. I feel a little better now. Would you stand with me, please? Would you stand with me, please? I don't want us going out of here whining and moping and all the countries going down the toilet. You know, there's probably some truth to that. But you and I know better. If the church will unsheath her weapon for deliverance and freedom, if the Spirit is waiting for the church in America to pray, to invite me, what can happen in an instant, what can happen in a week, what can happen in just a few moments? Lord, come in power. Send your Spirit in power. Send your spirit in power. Send your spirit in power. May it be. Thank you, Lord, for the time. Will you bless these words to our hearts? Would you let us not be able to forget them? Impart, impart to us, Lord. We receive it, what you are wanting us to hear and to do. May there be pairs, powerful prayers. May there be groups formed where we see this as our role pray, Lord, send your spirit in power for Christ's sake. In the name of Jesus. Say his name with me, will you? In the name of Jesus. Say, say it again like you mean it. In the name of Jesus. We pray. We pray. Prayer partners, join me here, please, if you will, if we can pray for you and with you. That's what we want to do. If you're ready to give your heart to Jesus Christ and you're in this room, this is that's the best choice you'll ever make. This is the best time to do it. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Amen.